Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I'll be on Hannity tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll watch now. The Center for Disease Control has received a blistering, blistering report. <coughs> Excuse me, that's cholera. A blistering blistering report about its conduct since you know we had the virus and so forth trying to pull this up for you and um, I want to remind you this whole nursing home situation that we were the first to talk about this when we were tipped off on the air by a doctor who was an administrator at a nursing home. And I would go through the stats that were provided by the CDC, and I would tell you that the definition of just COVID is confusing. It seems overly broad. That the direction that was being given was contradictory. I had people on my show, Life, Liberty, and Levin, people behind this mic. And of course, I was an attacked as a denier. I was a denier of what? I don't deny there's a virus. Of course, I didn't deny that there's a virus. But there were a lot of questions to be asked, and the CDC was not up to it. And one of the reasons is because of politicization, which is not a top subject of this report because they would respond to Democrat interest groups like the Teachers Union, which really wasn't part of the report either. 
And of course, we have Fauci, who said, don't wear masks, and then wear masks, wear boots, wear burkas, wear goggles, double mask. And nobody serious was buying any of that, except, of course, the media pushing the agenda. And now the CDC director, Walensky, she now admits the CDC did not reliably meet expectations on COVID-19. They had had a review of its structures, systems, and processes. Now they're going to have a shakeup. The head of the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention today acknowledged the agency fell short of expectations. Its handling of the coronavirus pandemic announced drastic changes for its operations. Walensky said, for 75 years, CDC and public health have been preparing for COVID-19, and in our big moment, our performance did not reliably meet expectations. And of course, Fauci is one of the reasons, and of course, his ass should be kicked out and kicked out fast. My goal is a new public health action-oriented culture at CDC that emphasizes accountability, collaboration, communication, and timeliness. Notice she doesn't say eliminates politics. The agency in April announced a review of its structure, systems, and processes, and the review came after criticism the agency was slow to alter COVID-19 guidance in the face of changing science often produced confusing recommendations that were difficult for the public to decipher. Changes would also include the appointment of Mary Wakefield, a former Obama administration health official, to lead the agency's move toward a stronger public health focus. Additionally, the CDC will strengthen the response team for health emergencies, according to the New York Times. One of the other things they want to look at is diversity at the highest level. So let me tell you this. You ready? I think a lot of this, the response is the opposite of what you, a normal, regular American, would think. I think we're going to get more of the woke politics in this department, this agency. More of it. Not less. That they're going to remain political when they talk about communications and and so forth. Uh, they're bringing in an Obama flack as if that's going to clean up anything. As we know, it won't clean up anything. I am owed an apology. Many people are owed an apology. I don't expect one. I'm just underscoring the point. And of course, there are fantastic, fantastic experts. Yale, Stanford, Oxford, yeah, Rockefeller College, so many in so many other places were out front and knew exactly what needed to be done. And they were not only ignored, in many cases they were derided. And of course, big tech and the oligarchs, they rejected any contrary opinions, even from experts and scientists. And medical doctors. They banned them. They banned them. They gave them the scarlet letter. And now we know also that the CDC worked. And the White House worked. With these big oligarchs from tech world. Who now have received 50 billion dollars or so from you and me. 
in order to silence contrary voices. And that's the problem, you see, ladies and gentlemen. The more centralized the government gets, the more ideological, the more it is invested in pushing its agenda no matter what. That's the problem with centralized healthcare decisions. That's the problem with centralized environmental decisions. That's the problem with centralized economic decisions. You know, Stalin, yes, Stalin. Stalin. His people were starving. The Russians were starving to death. But he was not going to give up the communes. He was not going to give up his massive... Stealing of private property. The reorganization of agriculture. And so he and his people put out lies about production. Lies. And when they wouldn't meet their goals, he would have the people in charge of the processes executed. Because it wasn't the ideology, you see. It was the people. Because they can never give up the ideology. It's all they have. It's the ideology. CDC admits it failed to respond effectively to the COVID crisis. Sweeping reorganization aimed at changing the agency's culture and restoring public trust. Plans to make the agency more nimble. I'm just reading what they say. Um, It admits flawed COVID-19 response. And it says it's laid out a plan to become more nimble and accountable. I don't think so. Not if you're bringing an Obama hack in. If you're talking about wokeism effectively. None of that's going to improve science. None of it's going to improve the management of the organization. You see, the CDC, like HHS, like all the rest of the alphabet, has enormous red tape. Layers and layers of long-in-the-tooth bureaucrats, starting with Fauci, among others. And they're not talking about the kind of changes that are needed to truly fix it. Market-oriented competition, taking more advice from serious outside scientists and medical doctors. They haven't even acknowledged, let alone apologized for their work with the big oligarchs and big tech to silence people who actually know what they're talking about. Now, why are they coming out now and doing this? Why? Because they believe the Republicans will take the House. When they take the House, they will have to testify, and there will be investigations. And they're going to point to this great report that they've done and how they've responded to it, that we're going to make changes, we're going to do much better, we're going to be responsive to the public, we're going to, we're going to consult this one and that one. And we know we have a problem. So this is a preventative effort to take some of the heat off. God willing, when the Republicans take the House, because they have said that this will be one of their top issues. So they want to come in and defuse the whole thing. We, uh, you know, we worked on this, and we, we agree, and we have a problem, and we're work, really working on changing the bureaucracy and the response, and, and, and we don't disagree, and blah, blah. No, no, no. They need to be held to account. 
this overhaul they're talking about, major overhaul. Why do you think they're making such a big deal of it? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right, folks, Liz Cheney lost in Wyoming, you may have heard, by 40%, give or take. And she was never serious about being a congressman or representing Wyoming. She compares herself to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln? First of all, Abraham Lincoln was born dirt poor in a log cabin in Kentucky. Liz Cheney was born a spoiled rotten brat. She was raised in Northern Virginia, in McLean, Virginia, which is a very wealthy suburb of Washington. She believes she's entitled. She has done nothing profound. She has said nothing profound. She is a narcissist through and through who believes that she carries the future of the country on her shoulders. God forbid. She keeps burping up platitudes about democracy. She should burp up platitudes about republicanism. She keeps burping up platitudes about the Constitution while she serves on a committee that has as its purpose to violate the Constitution, including the separation of powers doctrine. That committee and Cheney have not treated a single witness the way witnesses are to be treated particularly individuals against whom she is very hostile. Liz Cheney rejects due process. Due process that's gone back, what, a thousand years or more? She rejects the idea of an opposition. She rejects telling the truth by cherry-picking information. And she rejects Americanism despite all of her bravado. Liz Cheney is about Liz Cheney. That's why she had a Hollywood film crew all set up for her speech in Wyoming with a beautiful background, the mountain, the American flag, American flag 
in her speech. Her speech wasn't to the people of Wyoming. Her time in Congress wasn't for the people in Wyoming. She lost her seat, not because she's Abraham Lincoln, but because she is a self-aggrandizing loser who did nothing for her state. Nothing. State only has one congressman. And they need a congressman who's going to protect them from this administration. Not throwing with Nancy Pelosi in the press. We've invited Liz Cheney in this program. She will not come on the program. She will not come on the program. And now it's clear and it's been clear that she's used this entire January 6th rogue operation to try and promote herself. To create a political platform she would not otherwise have. To get press attention, slobbering, salivating press attention that she certainly never received before. It's not hard to get it. She's not Abraham Lincoln, she's Benedict Arnold, and the Benedict Arnolds within the Republican Party who are populated throughout CNN, MSNBC, pages of the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. They know how to get attention. They're effectively grifters. They want to be famous. Not by hard work, but by stabbing people in the back. You can see it on The View. You can see it with Cheney, Nicole Wallace, Mr. SS, Stephen Schmidt. And there's so many I can't keep track. So Liz Cheney wants to be president. And you don't elect her, ladies and gentlemen. You don't support her. If you don't embrace her, and obviously you're part of the problem. You're against the country. If there's a new civil war, I would say that Liz Cheney is on the wrong side of it. More Jefferson Davis than Abraham Lincoln. Just saying. Liz Cheney never spoke out against the outrageous attacks on Trump when they tried to destroy his election, both in and outside the government, tried to remove him from office. She voted once for that, tried to criminalize his administration. She doesn't give a damn about this country. It's about her. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, 
L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. Well, I want to read something to you. I really hope you'll be able to listen, tell everybody to stop what they're doing. I want to read something to you. And I am looking for it now. (laughs) Okay, Mark, we stopped what we're doing. Now, what the hell do you want? I've got it. I'm getting there. Computer's a little slow. Let's see here. The Espionage Act of 1917. Most of you haven't read it. Most of the people commenting on it haven't read it. Most of the former federal prosecutors coming in haven't read it. And certainly most of the media, media have not read it. And it says something that's very interesting. And I'm going to wait till the after the break to read it to you because I'm going to make sure I have the right section. But it's going to be a point after I really studied this, studied its history, but really studied it this morning. I'd studied it before. And it really does need to uh, be discussed at some length. And I'm going to do it here with you first. So we will uh, wait till I find the actual, the correct text. You know, this law has been changed over the years, and I don't want to use the the wrong text. Ron DeSantis on at a press conference today on the 87,000 more IRS agents. And I want you to understand, this is going to have a direct impact on each and every one of you. It's not the first year, second and third year. Cut one, go. I think of all the things that have come out of Washington uh, that have been outrageous, uh, this has got to be pretty close to the top. And, and I think it was basically just a middle finger uh, to the American public that this is what they think of you, all these problems we have to deal with, and they think the way is to do 87,000 IRS agents. There's going to be more people in the IRS than in like a lot of these other agencies combined now. Um, you know, they're not putting very much might down at the border, I can tell you that right now, but they want to be able to do it and, and unleash them on uh, American taxpayers. And so, so that's wrong. Uh, fortunately, you know, that's one of the reasons we don't have an income tax is because if you don't have an income tax, you don't, ha- you don't empower revenue agents. Once you do that income tax, that gives them the ability to really go in um, and potentially target. And it's going to be targeted at people that the government doesn't like. Now think about what he said there. Think about the difference between Iran, DeSantis, and Florida. This is the reason we do not have an income tax. You don't have to worry about an income tax audit in Florida because there's no income tax. But you do have to worry about an income tax because the Democrats now have doubled the size of the IRS, doubled it. There's now 170,000 employees at the IRS when you add the 87,000 new agents. And they've told you what the purpose is. They've said what the purpose is. To collect more revenue. But then they lie to you. And they tell you it won't affect you. It won't, be, it won't affect you because Joe Manchin is going to make sure it doesn't. Cut to go. We're going to follow all the way through. I'm going to follow to make sure the IRS doesn't harass anybody. 
and I would encourage all of my uh, all of my political friends to make sure their staffs are in contact with the IRS. I want to make sure the EPA doesn't overreach and it's balanced of how they do it. You know, there's always a way to go out. Rather than going out with a cease and desist order, go out with an idea of how you make He's it better. He's such an idiot. So just keep electing Joe Manchin. He'll make sure the IRS and the EPA don't abuse its powers or their powers. Now, how ridiculous is that? He just voted to massively expand their powers. But this was a massive tax bill, a massive, massive regulatory bill, a massive climate change bill, which has as a purpose to destroy your prosperity, and it's going to, and a massive centralization of health care bill. It has now destroyed research and development for new drugs. With price controls. It's told the pharmaceutical companies, if you don't meet the prices that we set, we will tax you at 95%. That's what this idiot voted for. That's what he voted for. They keep calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. They lied to you. Not only does it fail to reduce inflation, the vast majority of it's a massive spending and tax bill, right? In the teeth of stagflation. Here is Joe Manchin, asked by Fox News' Hillary Vaughn. Cut three, go. Is it misleading to call this the Inflation Reduction Act for Americans when it's not going to make their grocery bill cheaper? It's not going to make everyday goods cheaper for them? Why would it? Why would it? Well, immediately it's not, but we never seen anything happen immediately. Like today, it's turn the switch on and off. Nobody talked about turning the switch on and off, moron. And now we know, America... West Virginians, hardworking men and women of this country, that there was an invisible hand behind all this. Bill Gates, who apparently is quite the sleazeball. But that aside, the second richest man in the world. The second richest man in the world. He feels your pain if you're a coal miner. He feels your pain. If you work in an oil refinery, he feels your pain if you work on a rig. feels your pain if you fill up your car or your truck. No, he doesn't. He's a fraud and a phony. But his invisible hand was behind Manchin, working with Schumer. Cut four, go. And maintaining that dialogue, uh, in, including in the last <laughs> month where, you know, people felt like, okay, we tried, we're done. It failed. And, you know, because it, I believed it was a unique opportunity, my trying to bridge the communication gap and encourage people to make one more effort, uh, you know, by because of the relationship we'd built up over time, you know, we were able to talk even at a time when he felt people weren't listening, Man. you know, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to be in his position, Uh you know, the last six months have been... All right, he drones yeah. on. you got to wonder how this guy ever made a nickel. Must be his good looks, Mr. Producer. But that aside, there were a lot of figures in the background operating in the dark and the shadows in marijuana smoke-filled rooms. A lot of people who were involved in this, who got what they wanted, who got the money they wanted, they got the tax increases they wanted. 
who got the subsidies they wanted, out of your view, the view of the American people, and we simply cannot rely on the corrupt media to give us the facts. All they do is, look at this. Joe Biden's had a hell of a week. Look. Look at all his successes. That's what we get from these morons. That's what we get. Nothing more, nothing less. But we know it's fantastic, and now we're going to have clean air. What's next? We haven't done enough. What's next? So they haven't even allowed the trillions and trillions they've spent and have borrowed to settle into the system so we can all enjoy their massive centralized policy before they go at it again with another nearly trillion dollars. And guess what? It's not just one trillion. They're going to fund this stuff over and over and over again. It creates a benchmark. It creates a bottom. Look, we spent almost $400 billion on quote-unquote climate change. I propose we increase it. It's so desperate out there. We need to spend $500 billion next year. That's how it works. That's how it works, because their policies never work. That's how it works. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. By the way, you know what's funny about this CDC stuff? The press will act like they never defended everything and anything said by or issued by the CDC. They'll act like they never trashed Skeptics. They're supposed to be skeptical. They'll act like this was all science. They'll just move on and pretend they had no participation in giving this agency its free will. That they had no participation trying to shut down other experts and scientists and medical doctors. That they had no role in trying to humiliate people like me. Of course, they can't, but they tried. Who dare to raise questions about the information that we're getting that doesn't even add up or make any sense. And I want the media to understand this is why you're despised. This is why you're hated. Now, I want you, if you can, stop eating dinner. Stop making dinner. 
stop buying dinner, if you're in your car, raise the volume on your radio, if you're online, raise the volume on your computer, your handheld device, I want to read something to you. In the Espionage Act of 1970, there is a Section E. There's Section 1, Part E. I want you to listen very carefully to this. Whoever being entrusted with or having lawful possession or control of any document, writing, code, book, signal book, sketch, photograph, photographic negative, Blueprint, plan, map, model, note, or information relating to the national defense. Through gross negligence. Permits the same to be removed from its proper place of custody. Or delivered to anyone in violation of his trust. Or to be list stolen or abstracted. Or destroyed shall be punished by a fine of not more than $10,000 or by imprisonment. For not more than two years or both. Now this is the section of the law that applied to Hillary. But that's beside the point. It's right there. At the beginning. Whoever. Being entrusted with. Or having lawful possession or control of any document and so forth. Permits the same to be removed from its proper place of custody or delivered to anyone in violation of his trust, and so forth. Mr. Producer, in the first instance, who is entrusted with the document? That would be the agency that creates the document, correct? Being entrusted with or having lawful possession of, Why is it said that this applies exclusively, or at all, but exclusively to Donald Trump? If you are entrusted, let's say you're the CIA director, but there's a lot of munchkins involved in this, but you're the CIA director. Your agency has created this document. You're entrusted with, it says being entrusted with or having lawful possession or control of You're entrusted with control over this document. And you give it to the President of the United States. It remains your responsibility to ensure that that document that you delivered to the President, or to anybody, or to anybody, is returned to its proper place of custody. That's what it says, proper place of custody. So what am I saying? This law was never intended to apply to a president or even a former president. It was intended to apply to individuals much lower in rank than that within the federal government. So why do we ignore the fact that any classified document that was brought to President Trump as president, secret, top secret, or even beyond, Donald Trump did not create that document. 
Donald Trump was presented with that document. The person who's entrusted with the document, that is, its creation, its maintenance, its security, is the agency and the person who presented it to the president. I'm not talking about the National Archives. I'm not talking about the White House Council. Who created and provided the President of the United States with the documents that were in the boxes that were removed? Which agencies? Which individuals? Because it seems to me, ladies and gentlemen, that the application of Part E under Section 1 of the Espionage Act of 1917 quite clearly applies to the people who brought the classified information after it was created by somebody other than the president, who brought it to the president, they were entrusted with making sure that that document, if this statute is applicable and this section is applicable, with ensuring its return and its safekeeping. And the question is, if they failed to do so by gross negligence, they committed a felony. Am I being quite clear on this, Mr. Producer? And notice not one of the legal analysts or any of the other frauds and phonies and buffoons have pointed this out. That's the purpose of this paragraph. But they're so busy applying it to Trump, they're so busy trying to figure out how to screw Trump they're not reading the plain language. And they're not applying it to the people to whom it should be applied. I want to get into this a little bit more. Now, if anybody brings this up, you'll know who they stole it from because I'm surrounded by plagiarists. But that said, this is a very, very important point. Whoever being entrusted with, entrusted with, through gross negligence, permits the same to be removed from its proper place of custody. If a document's on the president's nightstand, let's say it's President Obama, that's a violation of this statute. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Let me try this again, and then I want to move on. They keep pointing to the Espionage Act of 1917. Well, let's read it. Relevant section that applied to Hillary Clinton 
James Comey said was too nebulous, gross negligence in the handling of classified information. He said nobody would ever bring a case like that. And yet here we are. The supposed reason for the search warrant. Same FBI. And so my question is, why is this applied to Trump? Why isn't this being applied to the people who have the responsibility who create these documents and have the responsibility to make sure they're returned and placed in their supposed appropriate safe or vault? How many of them are being investigated? How many search warrants have been served on them? How many of them have been charged with a crime? Whoever being entrusted, remember that phrase, or having lawful possession or control of any document relating to the national defense through gross negligence permits the same to be removed from its proper place of custody. I'm reading the relevance part, parts. Shall be punished by a fine of not more than 10000 or imprisoned for not more than two years. The people who are entrusted with these documents are the people who create them, provide them, and then are required to take them back and put them in, quote, their proper place of custody. The president doesn't have a proper place of custody. The documents created at the CIA, according to this, goes back to the CIA. And likewise, so my question is, with all these classified documents, are all these people going to be prosecuted? Let me show you how ridiculous this is, too. If Barack Obama's president... And he takes one of these documents with the stripes on the cover that says top secret or whatever from the Oval Office. And he brings it up into the private residence. Michelle tucks him in bed and he's reading it, falls asleep and leaves the document on his end table. That's a crime. That's a crime. There's nothing here about taking it out of the building or how long you have to take it out of the building or so forth and so on. He's supposed to, at least again, according to what is being pushed out there, he's supposed to return it to the person who provided it to him. They're supposed to put it in the proper place of custody. And if the president wants to read it the next day, then they bring him the document back. gross negligence otherwise see my point it's true and then we have this which again underscores how the search warrant was unconstitutional in many ways but in particular back to Newsweek which of course is unreliable but nonetheless we'll play along to justify the unprecedented raid on a former president's residence and protect the source who revealed the existence of Trump's private hoard of documents. Personal stash of hidden documents, they call it. FBI agents went into Trump's residence on the pretext 
that they were seeking all government documents, says one official who's been involved in the investigation. But the true target was this private stash, which Justice Department officials feared Donald Trump might weaponize. Quote, they collected everything that rightfully belonged to the U.S. government, but the true target was these documents that Trump had been collecting since early in his administration, says the source. The sought-after documents deal with a variety of intel matters of interest to the former president, the officials suggest, including material that Trump apparently thought would exonerate him, claims of Russian collusion in 2016, or any other election-related charges. He did order all that Russian stuff declassified. Remember that, Mr. Producer? When Trump left the White House in January 2021, many of the normal processes of transition were not followed. Especially because the president would not admit that he had lost the election or that he would be leaving office. As a result, we now know some 27 boxes of documents were shipped to Mar-a-Lago by mistake. Official papers under U.S. law, which the National Archives is supposed to take custody of, and catalog. 27 boxes were shipped by mistake. Doesn't that sound like gross negligence to you, Rich? If they contain classified information? Yes, I think so. Then they go on. Over the past 18 months, the Trump camp and the archives engaged in a back and forth to result in the return of 15 boxes and some additional documents as late as June 3rd, when officials from the FBI and Justice visited Mar-a-Lago to serve a grand jury subpoena for documents. These negotiations were largely cordial. Now, this is all from the government, all these leaks. But in the course of its investigation, the FBI and Justice became aware of Trump's private collection. Now, wait a minute. That contradicts the beginning of the story. The FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago last Monday was specifically intended to recover Trump's personal stash of hidden documents, two U.S. intel officials said. Justify the unprecedented raid on former president's residence and protect the source who revealed the existence of Trump's private horde. Agents went into Trump's residence on the pretext that they were seeking all government documents. So they say he was collecting this stuff since early on, but now they say... Now they say they just learned of it. So this is, again, more lies being pushed out by the media, and Newsweek is more than happy to regurgitate them. In the course of its investigation, the FBI and Justice became aware of Trump's private collection. As Newsweek previously reported, a confidential human source revealed that the former president wasn't planning to divulge that he had possession of some of his own Trump administration officials, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Why do I care what John Bolton thinks? He wasn't there near the end. This guy's a hatchet man. I think Liz Cheney should announce right now that if she's elected president, she will appoint John Bolton to some high position. Because they have similar personalities, don't they, Mr. Producer? Which means none. So I'm not clear... Donald Trump kept documents that interested him, one of those officials said. Sometimes Iranian, North Korean nukes, sometimes Ukraine or Russia, some foreign leaders. 
it wasn't the subject per se that was of interest to justice, as it was the fear that Trump might weaponize the information, including for personal gain, the official said. I didn't read any of that in the warrant. Did you? Not necessarily the investigators were focused on. All official documents, regardless of classification, are required to be returned to the archives under the Presidential Records Act. And surely the FBI was going about its business of retrieving everything. But it is accurate to think about what was retrieved at Mar-a-Lago's two distinct sets of documents. What we're talking about here is not just documents that the archives were seeking to fulfill the provisions of the act. They were also after some number of documents they considered more sensitive, but also documents they felt the former president had no intention of returning. And so the lies, the arguments of the government just continue to contradict each other. And of course, they won't release the affidavit, they say, because they don't want to reveal any of this. So they just leak at the Newsweek or the slimes or the compost. But all this aside, that search warrant was unconstitutional. I don't give a damn what any former federal prosecutor says or any existing federal prosecutor. It was way too broad. Way too broad. When you look at the Fourth Amendment, it requires particularity. Particularity. Why? Because as we discussed, the colonists had to deal with these general warrants. They had to deal with it. Where the crown would delegate power to its officials <coughs> in the colonies who could issue general warrants, that is, to search the persons, the things, the places of people without giving a reason and without being specific. That's why there's probable cause for a warrant. That's why it has to be sworn. It's right there in the Fourth Amendment with particularity. And that's why the particularity of what it is you're trying to do needs to be presented. And when you read this warrant, even without the declaration or the affidavit, you can see just because you list three crimes that doesn't that doesn't exonerate these guys. It doesn't it doesn't allow them to say, oh, and by the way, any document that he read that was created by the government that uh, he may have written or whatever during the course of his presidency, that's fair game, too. And they basically admitted it here. That they wanted everything. Now, it's one thing, as we've talked about before, to get everything under or get a lot of stuff under the plain view doctrine. For example, let's say you have a search warrant to investigate somebody, their taxes, because you have very solid information that they uh, have been embezzling or whatever. And you have the search warrant to go into the home. You go into the home, you're the FBI, and you're searching the, the desk, and there's, in the drawer, there's tax returns. In the next drawer, there's cocaine. You're not required to pretend, if you're law enforcement, that you didn't see the cocaine. You're allowed to take that evidence and you're allowed to use it in the criminal process. 
But you can't start by saying, we want to take everything in all the living areas of the house. Yes, we're concerned about this law, this law, and this law. And by the way, in the next section, everything and anything the businessman or the or the employee may have touched or read or created during the course of his or her employment. No, that doesn't work. And yet that's in the search warrant. Just raising it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Right now, every business is trying to nickel and dime you. How much can they squeeze you to offset their increasing costs? It's a mess. That's why I love Pure Talk, my wireless company. And I want it to be your wireless company. Pure Talk drew the line in the sand and said, stop screwing over the American public. So when you sign up with Pure Talk this month, you're going to get their best ever offer. One month free. One month free. You can lock in talk, text, and data on America's most reliable 5G network for just 30 bucks a month. Plus, get one month free when you make the switch today. Just go to puretalk.com and enter code Levin Podcast for this special offer. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. Need another reason? When you choose Pure Talk, you're choosing to support American jobs. You're choosing to support a company whose CEO is a U.S. veteran. And with Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret it. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and get one month free. Ellie Honig, a CNN senior legal analyst. Well, he got something right because he obviously listened to the Mark Levin monologue, Mr. Producer, on Sunday on Fox. Why don't you listen to this, though? Cut eight, go. The process of declassification. So is it what basically former President Trump is saying, which is you can wave a magic wand if you're the president and go, poof, you're declassified? Is that how it works? Constitutionally, yes. Okay. The declassification authority rests with the chief executive. That's the president. The president is not just the head of the executive branch. He is the executive branch. Yes, there are all manner of forms and protocols and procedures and worksheets that one should follow. So it's done in an orderly manner. So people know what has been classified and declassified that presidents of both parties have observed for a long time. But if we're talking about just the law and constitutionally, the president has the power and it cannot be, no pun intended, cannot be trumped because one of the agencies in the executive branch has come up with a worksheet that wasn't filled out. So we do need to keep that in mind. The law allows very broad, perhaps even broader than we like, but the reality is very broad declassification. All right, now this is exactly what I said. I've said it here. I've said it on Levin TV. I've said it on Fox. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you're trying to pin on the president through the Espionage Act of 1917 that's never been applied to a president. That the removal of classified documents violates this law, or, conversely, that he has to follow some bureaucratic regime in order to declassify them. It's not correct. That's not what the Constitution says. It gives him broad, broad powers. Now, they go to a guy, Miles Taylor, he's former chief of staff to Trump DHS Secretary Nielsen. We had a lot of these miscreants and malcontents, apparently, secreted throughout the government 
in political positions. I don't know who headed the political personnel office at the White House who approved all these people, but obviously he or she did a great job in sabotaging President Trump. So Camerata goes to him. Go ahead. But Miles, that doesn't make sense. How can any president, forget Donald Trump, just any president, say, poof, you're declassified and never fill out any paperwork and not tell anybody that? But Miles, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense if you know what the hell you're talking about, but you don't. Why don't you take 30 seconds? You can even be on the toilet. You can even be on the toilet, Allison. Take 30 seconds and read the first sentence. Of Article 2, Section 1. Read it. What does it mean? Why is it there? And it makes sense, but it'll upset you. Because the narrative falls apart. Because Eli Honig, in this instance, is correct. Because Eli's regurgitating what I've said. On Sunday, during my monologue, behind this microphone, on the radio, to millions... Let's hear from Miles Taylor, the former chief of staff to Trump's DHS secretary. Go ahead. I think we're going to have a national commission on this after the fact, (laughs) because both sides are going to be upset depending on the outcome of this case. But I've got to side with Ellie here. I I think it's egregious if Donald Trump left the White House with this information. At the same time, though, you can already see in his early defense of him saying, well, it was declassified. I have This is speculative, but I really, really doubt Donald Trump proactively declassified any of this upon leaving. But it's very hard. So what if he didn't? So what if he didn't? So what if he didn't? That's the point. So what if he didn't? You cannot diminish the Article Two powers of the executive branch and the President of the United States, in particular who is the executive branch by statute or regulation. Which is why this law has never been used. Let me ask you a question. They say no president's ever done this before. How do we know? How do we know? Maybe we should ask Jonathan Turley and Amy McCarthy. How do we know no president has ever taken this kind of information before? On their say-so? On their say-so? How do we know? Have their homes been searched? Case of Obama's five estates? How about their wives' closets? Have they been searched? I don't think so. So how do we know? Right now, every business is trying to nickel and dime you. How much can they squeeze you to offset their increasing costs? It's a mess. That's why I love Pure Talk, my wireless company. And I want it to be your wireless company. Pure Talk drew the line in the sand and said, stop screwing over the American public. So when you sign up with Pure Talk this month, you're going to get their best ever offer. One month free. One month free. You can lock in talk, text, and data on America's most reliable 5G network for just 30 bucks a month. Plus, get one month free when you make the switch today. Just go to puretalk.com and enter code Levin Podcast for this special offer. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. Need another reason? When you choose Pure Talk, you're choosing to support American jobs. You're choosing to support a company whose CEO is a U.S. veteran. And with Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret it. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And get one month free. 
Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. I will be on Hannity tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I hope you'll join us. That would be 6.30 p.m. Pacific, Mr. Producer. In all times, in between, and all around. And we have this. D-N-Y-U-Z. Pat Cipollone and Patrick Philbin, the White House counsel and his deputy under President Trump, were interviewed by the FBI in connection with boxes of sensitive documents that were stored at Mr. Trump's residence in Florida after he left office. Three people familiar with the matter said. So the government leaks, leaks, leaks. And when they're said, uh, would you release this? No, no, no. It's an ongoing investigation. Mr. Cipollone. And Mr. Philbin, the most senior people who worked for Mr. Trump, who are known to have been interviewed by investigators after the National Archives, referred the matter to the Justice Department this year. It was headed by a left-wing goon. They've never done this to another president, let alone a cabinet member. In fact, in 2015, that same guy said he didn't think it was necessary when it came to Hillary Clinton. So we see this as all a scam. The interviews are a sign of the intensity of the investigation. Gee, I thought the search warrant was into how sensitive <coughs> how sensitive government material left the White House with Mr. Trump. Remained at his Palm Beach residence, Mar Lager, for more than a year. More than a year? Wow. But there was an urgent need to get it. More than a year? Yes, but we urgently needed to get it. Oh. Now we know you just wanted to grab everything. Mr. Philbin was interviewed in the spring, according to the two of the people familiar with the matter. His investigators reached out to the members of Mr. Trump's circle to find out how 15 boxes of material, some of it marked as classified, made its way to Mar-a-Lago. It was unclear when Mr. Cipollone was interviewed. Well, I don't know this to be true. I just use my noggin, common sense. We call it reason. They claim to have some kind of a mole, don't they, Mr. Producer? I don't know if that's true or not. But this article in DNYUZ just revealed that Mr. Philbin, the deputy counsel to the president at the time, was interviewed in the spring, correct? He was interviewed in the spring about documents and boxes. Maybe they're referring to him. I don't know. Mr. Cipollone and Mr. Philbin were two of Mr. Trump's representatives to deal with the National Archives. Well, that gets interesting. They were named to the position shortly before the president's term ended in January 2021. Another was Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff. Some point after the National Archives official realized they did not have Trump White House documents, which are required to be preserved under the Presidential Records Act, They contacted Mr. Philbin for help returning them. Spokesperson for Mr. Philbin did not immediately respond to request for comment. Hmm. Mr. Philbin tried to help the National Archives retrieve the material. Two of the people familiar with the discussion said, but the former president repeatedly resisted entreaties from his advisors. 
It's not theirs, it's mine, several advisors say, Mr. Trump told them. Now, let's stop right there. Of course, the media have been using this. Truly dumb, loathsome people like Joe Scarborough has pointed out, what, he thinks this classified, these classified documents are his? It's not what it says. For all we know, it's a note that he received from somebody or a note that he wrote to somebody. Or a note that he made on a cocktail napkin. It's not theirs, it's mine. Has nothing to do with classified information. Certainly, possibly, does not. I should say, probably does not. And that's not what it says. It says that when his deputy White House counsel wanted him to return documents, the president said... It's not theirs, it's mine. Well, what is he talking about when it comes to it's not theirs, it's mine? And maybe Mr. Philbin didn't understand what Donald Trump was talking about, or maybe he did, and of course the media are using this, as they always do, to cast the darkest spell they possibly can. I'm on to these people. That's why I'm able to pick this stuff out. I do pick out the needle in the haystack. It's not theirs, it's mine doesn't mean he's talking about classified information, by the way. On the items in the boxes packed up from the White House residence as Mr. Trump was departing was Mr. Trump's correspondence with the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, as well as a letter to Mr. Trump from former President Barack Obama when Obama departed the White House. Well, there you go. The market doesn't belong to him. It's okay. You don't barge into somebody's home, warrant or no warrant, and search his wife's closet, the former first lady, over this. But there were also a variety of other documents that traveled to Mar-a-Lago. Evan Cochran, a lawyer, Mr. Trump, who was said to have suggested that the former president resolve the matter with the Justice Department. I didn't write that sentence. That's utter illiteracy. Went through the material, which was kept in boxes in a storage area in the basement. But before that meeting, according to people familiar with the move, it was unclear if he was the one, the only one to do so. No, in June, the FBI went in and looked at the boxes. And they should have taken what they felt belonged to them then. Nobody was going to be able to stop them. At that point, at least one Trump lawyer signed a statement saying material with classified markings had been returned, according to four people familiar with the document. Well, is that inaccurate? Did he say, listen, when you're dealing with criminal law, you need to be specific. Did he say every last classified document was returned or that classified documents were returned? What's he attesting to? We don't know. This is very poorly done. The two lawyers on site for the meeting who worked with Mr. Trump were Mr. Corcoran and Christina Bob. Don't name names of FBI agents. Only name names of lawyers working for Trump, you see. But officials then used a subpoena to obtain surveillance footage of the hallway outside a storage room at Mar-a-Lago and saw something that alarmed them. You see how this stuff's being leaked, if it's accurate? They also received information from at least one witness who indicated that more material might remain at the residence, people familiar with the investigation said. The government is leaking. 
which is a crime. Mr. Philbin is among eight people who worked or used to work for Mr. Trump, who've been contacted by the FBI since a grand jury was formed this year. Investigators also interviewed Derek Lyons, a former White House staff secretary. Mr. Lyons, last day at the White House, was December 18, meaning he did not know how the last boxes were packed as Mr. Trump prepared to leave, but he had information about paper flow in the White House and how the former president handled material. Why is it only how the former president handled material? As I discussed earlier in the show. The FBI has reached out to about half a dozen people who currently work for Mr. Trump and who might know what documents he may still have in his possession. The post-FBI interviewed top White House lawyers about missing Trump documents appeared first at the New York Times. Well, of course. This gets more and more disgusting. More and more disgusting. Be right back. Mark Lovin. Right now, every business is trying to nickel and dime you. How much can they squeeze you to offset their increasing costs? It's a mess. That's why I love Pure Talk, my wireless company, and I want it to be your wireless company. Pure Talk drew the line in the sand and said, stop screwing over the American public. So when you sign up with Pure Talk this month, you're going to get their best ever offer, one month free, one month free. You can lock in talk, text, and data on America's most reliable 5G network, for just 30 bucks a month. Plus, get one month free when you make the switch today. Just go to puretalk.com and enter code Levin Podcast for this special offer. That's L E V I N Podcast. Need another reason? When you choose Pure Talk, you're choosing to support American jobs. You're choosing to support a company whose CEO is a U.S. veteran. And with Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret it. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST. That's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and get one month free. One of the things uh, Marx writes about... He wrote more, by the way, than the Communist Manifesto. He wrote a lot, and Engels wrote a lot of it for him, but nonetheless. is about the inevitability of what would be called Marxism. He never used that word himself. I use it. It's inevitable. Now, the problem is we have this ruling class, Richard Haas, President, Council on Foreign Relations. He's part of it. He's been in various administrations. And they get bigger and more powerful, and they fund themselves by raising taxes. There will now be 87,000 more members of the ruling class at the IRS. These people are well-fed. They have nice homes. They have tremendous pensions and health care plans, and you're paying for all of it. And they don't intend to give any of it up. In fact, they intend to expand it. And in order to expand it, they have to expand their power. They have to control, regulate, tax more and more and more. You're the object. You're the target of their power. And so if you dare to challenge them, this is what you get. Richard Haas, Cut 12, go. You're going to see people elected this time around who fit the description you've been talking about. 
who don't so, accept the basics. And the question then is, how does the political process over the next two years play out, including selections of electors and so forth after the 2024 elections? I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this is potentially as dangerous a moment for this country as we've seen at any time since the middle of the 19th century and in, in the run up to the Civil War. Yeah, but it's not. Trump and the Republicans and MAGA and conservatives and whatever you want to call us, it's not us. We're threatening the Supreme Court or Supreme Court justices who have an open border. We're attacking our national security with wokeism in our military. We're undermining law enforcement so our streets are ravaged by, are ravaged by killers and burglars and rapists. We're not doing this. We're not attacking our economic system. We're not undermining our, our prosperity and our strength and our history, making it easier for domestic and foreign enemies to conquer. It's not, oh, it's the run-up to the next civil war. We're in a domestic war of sorts already. Not of our making, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't done anything. We dared to vote for Donald Trump, and that's heresy. Because he has done more to take on this ruling class in Washington, D.C., in New York, in L.A., than anybody ever in the office of the presidency. And so they don't like it. He must be destroyed. His entire movement must be destroyed. And when you listen to Lynn Cheney, you're really listening to the U.S. attorney in Washington. You're really listening to the attorney general. They are on a mission. They are narcissistic. They are self-righteous. They are obsessed. They are on a mission. They break the law while they pretend to enforce the law. They break the norms and traditions while they pretend to uphold them. These people are true believers. In what? In themselves. And my concern is you're not going to be able to change the way they are, are, are operating. That's a grave concern. I'll be right back. Do you want to keep your home in its best condition while protecting your budget? Well, of course you do. With a home service plan from American Home Shield, you can do exactly that. They help cover the cost to repair or replace things you depend on every single day. Expensive things like your kitchen appliances, AC, refrigerator, and water heater. No inspections or maintenance records are required, and they'll never deny coverage because of the age of your items. Wow. Choose from the three flexible plans along with several add-on options like roof leak repair coverage and electronics coverage for items like laptops, gaming systems, and flat-screen TVs. This is absolutely fantastic. Their comprehensive plans help make sure you're prepared for your next unplanned breakdown. It's the kind of convenience and peace of mind everyone could use right now. So, folks, join today. And as a listener of my show, you can save $50 on any plan. Just go to ahs.com slash Levin. Again, ahs.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's $50 off at ahs.com slash Levin. Service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply you can see the plan for details, but I'm telling you, this is a fantastic offer. He's here. He's here. 
now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number... 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In about 10 minutes or so, uh, Paul Manafort will be on the program. He's written a fascinating book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. And I really want to dig into that with him. Because, boy, was he treated like hell. He was treated like hell. Mass murderers aren't treated like he was treated, in my view. And we know why, too, don't we? Yes, I think we do. Now, I wanted to get to this with, uh, let's see here, Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin is a good guy. We've had him on the program years ago, didn't we, Mr. Producer? Alec, who the hell's Adam? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Adam Baldwin. Yeah, he's our buddy, not to be confused with Alec Baldwin. And he was on the Chris Cuomo project yesterday. Now, this is getting kind of interesting with Chris Cuomo, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Excuse me? Yeah, what are we talking about here? So you wrote Adam and it's Alec. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. This is hour three, our best hour of the program. Alec Baldwin. Alec. Not the great Adam. Alec. (coughs) Can we start this hour over somehow, America? On the Chris Cuomo project on YouTube yesterday. Cut 16 goes. You say you never pulled the trigger, but the gun went off. Right. You do the ABC interview and it was kind of left there. That will right. not make sense to people. If a bullet comes out of a gun, they say, well, then someone fired. You're familiar with this did not come from me. This came from the DA's office themselves. You're familiar with what fanning a gun is. Have you heard of that phrase fanning a gun? Yes, but explain. So if it. you pull the hammer back and you don't lock the hammer, if you pull the hammer back pretty far in old Western movies, you'd see someone fan the hammer of the gun. The hammer didn't lock. You pulled it back to an extent where it would fire the bullet without you pulling the trigger, without you locking the hammer. The man who's the principal safety officer on the set of the film declared that the gun was safe when he handed it to me. The person who was the principal safety officer of the film declared in front of the entire assemblage, this is a cold gun. Now, why did he say that? If he didn't know, if he hadn't checked, the point is all of us were told. Ah, So we're throwing him under the bus. Go ahead. Working with a gun that's safe to rehearse with. But he explained it to me effectively that that's exactly what can happen if you pull a hammer back and let it go. If there's a live round. See, there's only one question to ask here. Who put a live round in the gun? That's it. There is no other question to ask. Ah. No other question to ask. It is a fair question, who did? But that doesn't get you off the hook necessarily either. I wonder what Alec, 
not Adam, Alec Baldwin would say if this had happened to somebody, <laughs> to somebody else, like somebody who actually supports Donald Trump. You think, you think he'd come across the same way, Mr. Producer? I don't think so. He'd say this is more reason, you know, they're out of control, white supremacy, gun control, and all the rest of it, would he not? I think so. I think that's right. Alec Baldwin, Baldwin has not had to face a grand jury. Now, the situation with Alec Baldwin, it seems to me, is a little bit more serious than the Records Protection Act, don't you folks? And this is what's meant by two tiers of justice, I think. The United States Postal Service just institutionalized election interference with new mail-in ballot division by our buddy Chuck DeVore, now in Texas, formerly of California. And this is in uh, The Federalist. It's a pretty big deal, don't you think? To address some of these, the U.S. Postal Service announced on July 28 it was creating the Election and Government Mail Services Division. Adrian Marshall, a United States Postal Service veteran, was named as the division's first director with Mark Elias. Remember that SOB? The Democrats' foremost lawfare professional, longtime proponent of elections by mail, <clears throat> tweeting out his approval. These people just keep digging their way into the bureaucracy. The rationale for this new division is that the growing use of mail-in ballots requires extra attention to ensure the greater volume of mail ballots can be handled by an increasingly overburdened USPS. It reported it delivered more than 135 million ballots in 2020, with 40 million delivered so far this year during the primaries. More and more elections conducted by mail have been a longtime goal of Elias and other of his ilk since long before public health fears over in-person voting during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's instructive to note that most European nations found mail-in ballots to be susceptible to fraud and limited their use, but not in America. No, we have a perfect system. And don't say anything. You might be dragged before the January 6th French Revolution Committee. Or you might be dragged in front of a grand jury. Among other problems, mail-in ballots can be cast by someone other than the voter. Voter ID measures are harder to ensure absent in-person voting with a government-issued ID. And the secret ballots more easily compromised by professional ballot traffickers who, quote-unquote, help the voter fill in their ballot. So mail-in ballots will be an increasingly important part of the Democrat election playbook. That one paragraph says it all. In related news, Biden nominated three people to fill vacancies on the nine-member USPS Board of Governors. The board determines the Postmaster General, who remains for now, Louis Dubois. Biden's nominees include the former chief counsel for the American Postal Workers Union and the head of the National Vote at Home Institute, <coughs> a nonprofit that pushes for nationwide mail-in voting. Some 80 Democratic members of the U.S. House of Representatives sent a letter to Biden urging action on the Board of Governors nominees to speed up DeJoy's ouster because they know they want to hack running this. This is how they operate. 
Not our guys. This is how their guys operate. Should the voting public be concerned about the USPS playing clo- paying closer attention to mail them ballots? Well, it depends on the trust you place in federal institutions and their employees. He says the U.S. Postal Inspection Service is the oldest federal law enforcement branch regarding election-related mail, both campaign materials and ballots. The Postal Inspection Service says they're monitor, they monitor quote, political and election mail as it moves through the Postal Network to prevent, identify, resolve any issues that might interfere with its secure and timely delivery. All of which sounds great in theory, but what happens if the mail doesn't get through? Or if it doesn't get through selectively? Investigating after the fact won't change election results. And which party does all this help? By its own merits, the USPS claimed it delivered 99.89% of mail-in ballots within seven days during the 2020 election. Well, what if the leadership of the USPS's heavily unionized workforce decided to put their thumbs on the scale? The National Association of Letter Carriers is an affiliate of the AFL-CIO and endorsed Biden in 2020. It represents 277,000 workers. The American Postal Workers Union also endorsed Biden. It represents another 330,000 workers. That's 600,000 so far. And is also under the AFL-CIO umbrella. There was a concerted effort to hinder election mail. The Postal Inspection Service likely wouldn't notice it in time to stop and prevent it. Case of mail-in ballots, the Postal Service Union interference might take the form of an effort to target delays in Republican-heavy areas of both mail-in ballot applications. And it goes on. Oh, boy. And he goes through example after example in Baltimore and other places. And um, so they're going to use the Postal Service. They're using the U.S. Attorney's Office. They're using the DA in Atlanta. They're using the Attorney General in New York to send messages all over the place. And there's nobody better to help explain this to us than Paul Manafort political prisoner, persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. He will be with us after the break. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, I don't know Paul Manaford. I think I may have met him once or twice. Uh, but I sat here behind the microphone talking to you about how repulsed I was about the way the man was treated. Paul Manafort, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mark, and you're, you're right. We've only met a couple of times, but I think I know you real well because for a year in solitary confinement, I listened to you every night, and the, you gave me hope. Oh, thank you. That really uh, makes me feel great. You know, what they did to you was so disgusting. Um. And this book is so, so important for the American people, particularly now. It couldn't be more prescient and more relevant. The book is Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced. Let me, let's break this down a little bit. You were put in solitary confinement. That was intended to break you, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. They, I mean, they, when they arrested me, they put me on home confinement with a $10 million bond, $10 million for a fair violation. And, uh, and they put a gag order on me so I couldn't talk. And they, they put that bond because they didn't think I could, I could make it. And it 
took me four tries. Three packages were rejected. But the fourth try, I was able to cobble together a package that Berman Jackson couldn't reject because she had proved all of the pieces of the previous pre, and I put them together to make what I needed. So when they did that, when I did that, they saw that they would have to let me get out of home confinement. They came up with this phony witness charge, witness tampering charge, and had me thrown into jail directly from court. And uh, and they were going to throw me into the DC prison. Um, but uh, my lawyers objected, and the, the, thanks to the, I, guess, I guess people at the Justice Department, uh, they sent me. Not to a great place. I mean, there's prison out in the, on the eastern shore of, uh, of Virginia, three hours away from my lawyers, where I couldn't talk with them very well much. In a cell that was eight by twelve, no windows, you know, a, a slot for their food, and uh, and I wasn't able to exercise or go outside at all. So it wasn't fun. They really wanted you to confess the things that you hadn't done, and they really wanted you to get Trump, didn't they? Mark, that's exactly right. In the book, I actually detail because after the first trial, when you know I, I get a second trial coming up three weeks later in D.C. against a hostile judge, and when we tried to pick a D.C. jury, they gave us, and you would appreciate this, a hundred twenty pool juror of jurors. 120 people to pool for because they like we complained we wanted to change the venue we said I couldn't get a fair trial they wouldn't do that and of the 120 we 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 had a questionnaire that they allowed us to ask a broad number of questions one judge one juror we thought could be fair over 90 of them and I talked about this in the book said they hate Trump and they hate me uh, and so I realized I needed to cut a deal not to give them anything but to just not go to trial again because. The, the second trial was where the forfeiture actions were being taken, and they went back 20 years of my life, gobbling everything up, things I gave to my kids. And so I cut a deal to get the properties of my kids out of the package. Um, and as a result of that, I spent 50 hours in front of Weissman and Andres and that group, never intending to tell them anything but the truth. You know, while they were gleefully thinking I was going to spill the beans. But in the course of that 50 hours, it's a long way to answer your question, I was able to decipher what Weissman's theories were on, on Russian collusion, what his motive, he thought our motives were, what the links were, and they were just crazy ideas. They're just way out ideas. And I, and I walked through them all in the book, centering on, Stone de- dealing with uh, with the Russians and WikiLeaks, Trump telling Stone when to uh, when to have the hack documents released. Me communicating to the Russians of, of what's going on, and it was with no evidence, zero evidence. But and he wanted me to corroborate these things, and I wouldn't. To the point that you know he was badger- badgering me. Uh, he he threatened to bring five more lie to uh, to FBI agents charges against me i said you can bring them i'm telling the truth they never brought them um but it was all meant to get trump and in the end what i ended up doing which weissman did not appreciate is i put on his record in the special counsel's notes the case for no russian collusion and 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 the case for hillary clinton's being the the, the person committing the uh, the collusion with the ukrainians and with the russians 
You know, Paul Manafort, when you're in front of a jury that is not a jury of your peers, when you're in front of an Obama judge who obviously hates your guts, and then you got a guy like Weissman who is a legal hitman, you must have said to yourself, my God, I've been a conservative Republican all my life. I've worked on behalf of candidates like Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. How the hell can this be happening to me? It had to go through your and, uh, mind. Is this America or what? Yeah, and having spent a career overseas of fighting the Soviet Union and the Russians, and then you know, and in Ukraine, where you know that was part of Weissman's crazy theory. I was the person who got Ukraine to change their laws and their economic structure to apply to be part of Europe, and it was all publicly mm-hmm. known. And so, I, uh, it, it was so absurd, Mark, that I said to myself, "I'm just going to rely on my faith." my family, and that Donald Trump will do the right thing when this is over with at some point in time. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I just you know, lived in the, in the moment. L- literally, I'm not exaggerating. I listened to you every night. You gave me hope because you were carrying the case. You wouldn't strong entity. Um, and, and it got me through a very difficult time to the point that now I've moved on. And you and I never spoke, right? Your lawyers and I never, never spoke. spoke. I just knew it. You know, we yeah, no, we we met a few times you know, during the Reagan days, but, but I mean no, during the spoke. course of all this stuff. No, we didn't. Never. In fact, I I tried to write you a letter and they wouldn't let me send it to you. <laughs> Who? You mean the the prison wouldn't let you send it to me? Oh yeah, no, my, my all my phone calls, all my incoming and outgoing mail was monitored. I mean, they told me they said there's not <laughs> one thing that's going out or one call you're going to have except to your lawyers that we're not going to look at and listen to. Um, and, and, I, I was, and the letter that I was writing was just telling you what I just said to you now, how inspirational you were for me and how much I appreciated you saying some of the things you were saying. It wasn't like I was telling you secret information or railing against Weissman, but they, they wouldn't let that letter go. All right, Paul, I want you to hang on. We really only got started here. This book is absolutely fascinating and truly important for everybody listening. Political Prisoner. Persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. And you can get it on any of my platforms, on Twitter and elsewhere, as well as Amazon.com. We'll be right back with Paul Manifold. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. So lately, I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. 
We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs, soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. Mark Levin, America's Think Tank. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. Our special guest, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Manafort. The book is Political Prisoner. I mean, think about that, because he was. Persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. Paul Manafort, tell us a little bit, as you do in the book, about this guy, Weissman, I call him, and uh, how he treated you, and what he was trying to pursue, and all that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, he was a bully. I mean, that's correct. I mean, you call him a pit bull. He was a bully. Uh, he was very arrogant. He had theories that were not based in fact, but that he had just created out of full cloth. Um, and if you disagreed with him, he would beat you back and forth. And in the 50 hours that I spent with him, you know, he wasn't showing me documents. Like, there's a, a, I talk about it in the book. He was trying to make somebody who had worked with him for 10 years, Konstantin Kalemnik, into a Russian spy. In fact, he sealed all the documents, and they're still sealed, that show that Kalemnik was a U.S. government asset. Uh, and, and I even had a code name from the U.S. Embassy in Kiev to protect him on the cable traffic. Uh, but he was, he, he was trying to make Konstantin the link, and me, he had this theory that Trump was going to free or, or give Eastern Europe to Russia. And I talk about the details of that in the book. And there was no basis for that. He just came up with that because Russia wanted Eastern Europe, actually, Eastern Ukraine. Actually, they wanted all of Ukraine, as we've, we've seen in the last several months. Mm-hmm. But he had no evidence of any of this. And he, and, he, and he wanted me to say, I had meetings with Columbia about it. And he said, you had a meeting in Madrid. In, in March of 2017, after Trump was president, uh, to, to pass along the, how to get this done, right? And I said, well, I was in Madrid in, in May. And this is after I've been in solitary for like eight months. I said that I was, in fact, uh, in Madrid, but it had nothing to do with Constantine, nothing to do with Trump. It had to do with a personal thing, a friend of mine, and it was getting married. He said, well, what if I showed you a tic- is the ticket of Clemenic being in, the, in Madrid at the same time? I said, well, that would surprise me, but I didn't meet with him if he was there. And they said, well, if he was there, and this is where he started to play the mind games with me, and, he, and it was late in the afternoon, and he started playing the mind games with me, trying to get me to say, play the what-if game. And I didn't, but that was when I realized, you know, how he was going to come at me for the rest. This was early in the 50 hours. I was going to come at me for the rest of the, the whatever amount of time I was going to be with him. And that's what he did. He would have these disparate things he'd throw in, Trying to get me to say that uh, Trump was uh, was uh, you know was aware of the release of the WikiLeaks docu- hack documents you know before they they were uh, released in, in, in before the Democratic convention, and I would say no, and then he would say, well, what, did you know this, that, or whatever? Of which he would just be making it up. They weren't they were not 
to him. But I couldn't, he didn't show me any documents. I, I was fatigued from uh, at the end of usually these days. I was, I was not in good health at that time because of solitary confinement. Um, and, and then he would browbeat my lawyers that I was lying and that, was, and that, and that he was just going to break off the stuff. When I, when I told my lawyers to cut a deal with the special counsel's office, I said, look, don't fight for a 5K letter because I'm not going to get one because I'm not going to give them what they want. So it's not important to me uh, that, that I get a letter. All I care about is protecting my kids' assets and getting them out of the forfeiture. You could take my assets and put them in instead. Um, uh, and, and, but that was the kind of guy he was. Uh, and then he would bring in you know, Jeannie Reed to, to take a piece of it so she could try and be the good good guy, you know, the good guy, bad guy game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't work. It was just so transparent. Uh, and then, frankly, with the motions, he he, never, he didn't show up very often in Virginia because Ellis knew of the game. Judge Ellis didn't like him. Uh, and, but he showed up every time in D.C. because mm-hmm. Bernie Jackson would just fawn over him. And... Uh, uh, and his motions were always creating images of me that were not just as a criminal, but as a despicable human being. Um, and that was, that was his MO. But yet they would then leak, with me not being able to to respond to the media, they would leak all kind of fake things to the, to the press. And, conv- and as I say, they convicted me in the court of public opinion way before I ever got to a trial. Which is, which is, you know, why I never really had a chance. And I remember this was one of the things that infuriated me, this gag rule. I said, what the hell do you have a gag rule for? Why do you need a gag rule? Let the man speak out. Let his lawyer speak out. Let the American people know. You know, that's the point of a public trial, so to speak, or a public criminal justice process. It's so the public can watch what's taking place and know what's taking place. But I found her, her rulings to be outrageous which I pointed out over and over again, because they were outrageous. I want to ask you this. You see what's happening with Trump again. You see you have a search warrant, which I think violates the Fourth Amendment, given its breadth. They're going through his house. They go through his wife's closet. I'm sure they did exactly the same thing to you. They keep leaking stuff. Their arguments don't even gel. In other words, one day there's one reason for doing it. One day there's another reason. And there's the media pouncing. There is the media pouncing. You ever sit back and think to yourself, this whole system is screwed up. It's screwed up. The prosecutors have this kind of power. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the game, I mean, I, I actually, in the book, talk about what I've heard you speak about in the past, too, the sort of the circular game that the, the prosecutors and the, and the media, the social media play, you know, so that you know, with, you know, they're convicting Trump right now of espionage. You know, I mean, that's that's what's been going on for the last week. It's not working. Mm-hmm. I mean, American people are finally on to the game. And uh, and I think that's why they took the desperate actions they did this week. I mean, as I've been saying to people, you know, they talked about January 6th being a threat to democracy. This is a way bigger threat to democracy going after mm-hmm. your political opponents. This is third world kind of uh, behavior. And, and, you know, interestingly, in, in Ukraine, when Yanukovych went out, indicted his political opponent, which I was totally against, although she was very guilty, even her own president, Yushchenko, uh, said she was guilty. I, I, I fought Yanukovych, lost on it. Biden, representing the Obama administration, 
came to the uh, to Ukraine and publicly chastised Yanukovych and said, you don't build the, the democracy this way. This is a tin horn democracy when you go after your own political opponents. I mean, yeah, and now I guess he's trying to make America into the tin horn democracy that it's becoming uh, because that's exactly what he's doing. And that ridiculous first impeachment was the claim that he was trying to get uh, Biden right. in, in trouble. So, right. I mean, they, they do what they accuse other people of doing. Let me ask you this, because I'm sure the audience wants to know. You were in bad health there for a period of time. Was your life under th- really on the line at no, some point? It was, it was. I mean, I'd always been in good shape. I, you know, not being able to exercise. The food was bad. I mean, I never had gout, but I got gout, and I was worried about getting diabetes, which fortunately I didn't get. Um, yeah, I tried to change the diet of the menu I was getting. I was asked for the the, the di- diabetes uh, menu, figuring that would be, you know, have less problems. But they said, well, you don't really. That's not going to help you because it's just the same food but less portions. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> so that's what was going. It caused me pain. I couldn't walk. I mean, it was so severe. I mean, I've recovered now, um, but uh, yeah, but that that didn't bother. But Biden, I mean, uh, Weissman brought me into the grand jury. You know, in the wheelchair, the whole bit. How's your family? My family's strong. I mean, yeah. uh, my wife has been fantastic. She, she and my kids hung in there. They, they you know, they believed in me, and uh, and the, you find out who your friends are when you go through something like this. Mm-hmm. And my family and my friends have never been stronger. And my the faith, book, by the yeah. way. I mean, what's that? And my faith. I mean, the way yes. I got through solitary was I decided. I mean, I had to use all my skills as a strategist and build a program of how I was going to build every day, uh, which was founded on prayer and reading the Bible. You know, understanding the, the suffering the way St. Paul talked about it, and then relying on knowing my family was there for me, and uh, and that one way or another I, I would get through this. This is Paul Manafort. I'm speaking to author of Political Prisoner, persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. Last question: Are many people willing to talk to you and talk to you about this book and give you an opportunity to speak? Um, it's growing. <laughs> I mean, I think what they did to President Trump last week has created an aura of interest on this that might not have existed otherwise, because I deal with these very issues in my book, and I, I predict some of these same behaviors. I finished the book at the end of the first year of Biden's administration, so I, I get into a lot of the excesses of his, his, his White House and talk about them and predict some of these same things happening. Um, and so as people are now reading the book, I'm finding growing interest. Very, very good. Well, I hope our folks in the audience will order a copy immediately. It's pol- Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. It is a truly compelling book. It's a very, very important book. And Paul Manafort, I want to thank you very, very much, and I hope to meet you one day. So do I, Mark, and I want to thank you very much for getting me through it. God bless you, my friend, and your family. You take care of yourself. Thank you. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Enjoy that talk with Paul Manafort. And the book is so thorough, it's so important. I'm so glad he wrote it. It's Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. It's very important to read this book without all the propaganda from the media, which regurgitated what Weissman said openly and leaked to them. This judge was and is, Jackson is an abomination, absolute abomination. And you just can't get a fair jury trial in the District of Columbia or many cities if you're a Trump guy. It's really grotesque. I want to remind you, I will be on Hannity in about 45 minutes, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I wonder if they'll cut me off this time, Mr. Producer. One never knows. Let's take some calls here. Let's go to David Alexandria, Virginia, the great WMAL. David, go right ahead, please. Mark, thank you for having Mr. Manafort uh, on. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia, where he was living when he got raided. They kicked his door in, took his computer, took his papers, rummaged through them and found, you know, something prior, you know, to, to his involvement with Trump. I happened to be in the Alexandria City Courthouse when he was, after he was convicted. And on the wall of the courthouse, they have, the Bill of Rights, and the Fourth Amendment said an officer of the court has to swear before a judge the scope of what they're looking for. And it just struck me, because it was shortly after he was convicted, I'm like, it's unbelievable. Uh, The fact that they just rummaged through everything he had, and the Fourth Amendment says they have to look for specifics. And I just felt like, God, his amendment there his fourth amendment was violated and mm. i'm going to order his book uh as soon as we get off the line and i just wanted to thank you for having him on the radio no it's, it's my pleasure it was an honor to have him and the book's called political prisoner i encourage you folks to get it and thanks a lot david i appreciate appreciate it let's go to robbie memphis tennessee the great w-r-e-c robbie go mark thanks for taking my call Number one, this is the most idiotic thing. The, the records were in a basement under lock and key being guarded by the Secret Service. The, the, the uh, FBI couldn't even get in unless they got through the Secret Service. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just idiotic that they're worried about the records. I guess the only people that knew about the records was Trump and the people in the government. Now, you know, I guess with people in government knowing about it, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. It's all a sham. It's all a sham. And uh, I don't think these people are going to stop. And I think that's why so many Republicans and conservatives are uh, are rallying to Donald Trump. They see what's I, taking I, I place here. He's, he's, he's almost a figure like Dreyfus at this point. All right, Robbie. Thank you, my friend. Let us continue. I think I will. Let's go to Jeremy, Los Angeles, California. 
870-KRLA, the answer, where we are live and national. Go. Mark Levin, thank you for everything you do. You are the great one. Uh, Mark, thanks for taking my call. Listen, just to get a, a mention on what you had asked a few weeks ago about a good nickname for our governor out here, Gavin Trudeau should be his nickname because he <laughs> thinks he's the prime minister of Canada and we need to make California America again. How about, so, listen, how about Gavin Gruesome? No, uh, I mean, you don't I like, like that. Gavin you Trudeau like your idea. His, I don't blame you. All right. Yeah. Gavin, Listen, listen, you're the you're the great one. Great, Gavin Trudeau or No, no, I'm Nancy the great big one, Nancy. truth be told. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Got it. Or Nancy's Nancy's nephew. One of the two. All so, right. Um so listen, so listen, t- thank you for everything you do. Um it, it, we are on everything the constitutional republic. Even when I eat a hot dog? Anyway, go right ahead. Well, that yeah, th- that's what they say on the streets. That's what I've heard. Um yes. anyway, so we are unmoored from our constitution. Uh, we are a constitutional republic. I'm actually an actor here in LA, out of oh, work, cool. of course. So I have, uh, yeah. So I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, my my voice being heard on the air. Um, but listen, oh, you, you know, Matt, I think it was Madison that went to Congress in 1794 when Congress was trying to appropriate funds for French refugees. I guess they would be Haitians now. They were trying to get thirteen thousand dollars, and Madison <laughs> went to Congress to to his colleagues and said, can you point to an article in the Constitution where the people gave Congress the authority to appropriate funds, money, for their constituents for the purpose of benevolence? Um, Mm -hmm. And how is anything, how is anything that Congress is doing today with this 700... I'll tell you well, we're going to run out of... Everything changed with... uh, Actually, Theodore Roosevelt, who was a Republican progressive, and then from there it went downhill. You had Woodrow Wilson. Franklin Roosevelt really turned our country into a the beginning of a post-constitutional republic. Maybe we can discuss this a little bit more later, Jeremy. Thank you, buddy. I'll be on Hannity at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I want to thank Paul Manafort. I want to thank all you heroes out there. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll see you tomorrow, all right? See you tomorrow.